The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, December 3rd, 2023, on the basis of Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 9. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. So a little game that my wife and I have to play this time of year is the ever-exciting game of making sure that we get to the boxes that are delivered on our doorstep before the children do. Back in the olden days, when people actually went to stores to buy Christmas presents for their family, it was pretty easy to keep those Christmas presents a secret. But of course, today we buy so many things online, and the things we buy online get delivered in boxes, and every box has a label on it, and every label identifies the name of the company that sent the box. And once you know the name of the company that sent the box, you can probably guess, or at least try to guess, what's inside. Or at the very least, you certainly can guess what's not inside. So for example, if the box came from Nike or Old Navy, you're probably not expecting to find a power tool in there. But if the box came from Menards or Home Depot, you're probably not expecting to find a pair of shoes. If the box came from K Jewelers, you're probably not expecting to find a child's toy. But if the box came from Toys R Us, you're probably not expecting to find some diamond earrings. Regardless of how good you happen to be at keeping the presents that you buy for your children hidden and secret from them until they open them up on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, Really, all of us have a very important gift that is being delivered to us today. Today is the first Sunday of a brand new church year. It is the first of 52 Sundays plus a few festivals thrown in there that make up the Christian church calendar. And so it's sort of like we're not just receiving a gift today. It's sort of like we're receiving one of those gifts that's like a year-long subscription to some product or some service. The thing that we receive today is exactly what we should expect to receive for the next 52 Sundays. So what is it? Well, to answer that question, we have in front of us these words from Isaiah chapter 64 this morning. And one of the things these verses makes crystal clear is that the gift we are receiving has been sent to us by God. No surprise there, right? But this isn't just God. This isn't just any old God. This is brand name God. This is trademarked God. This is unique and one-of-a-kind God. This is a God who is unlike anyone or anything else. And if that's the case, it shouldn't surprise us that this gift that has been sent to us by God would actually disrupt some of the expectations that we might have for what God would be like. As soon as we know, as soon as we see that the label on the gift has been sent to us by God, we also know what we should not expect to find inside that box. In fact, after looking at these verses from Isaiah chapter 64 this morning, we're going to hear about so many things that we shouldn't expect to find that we might even be tempted to wonder, well, what's left? What could it possibly be? Well, let's find out as we dig into these verses. And as we ask the question, what will we find when we open the box sent to us by God? The first thing these verses show us is that we shouldn't expect to find a problem solver. Now make no mistake, the people who wrote, or the people who are voicing the words of these verses very much had problems. 
They knew that they were God's special chosen people. They knew that God had rescued their ancestors powerfully out of the land of slavery and brought them to this special chosen promised land that he had designated just for them. But now they had been conquered. They had been taken captive. They had been deported to the foreign land of Babylon. And yet even that wasn't their biggest problem. And they knew it. They knew that because they had been taken captive by a group of people who worshipped a whole slew of false gods, the biggest problem was that the name of their god, the one true god, was being ridiculed and mocked as if he had been powerless to stop this from happening. And so as they cry out to him, yes, they have problems, but they don't ask for God to solve them. They don't ask for help. They don't ask for advice. They don't ask for military aid or more ammunition or a winning battle plan. Instead, they just ask for God. They know that their name brand, trademark God, is a God who shows up for his people. And when he shows up, they also know that very often his solutions to their problems exceed their wildest expectations and even defy their wildest imaginations. And so all they do in these verses is ask God to do the very thing that he had done so many times before. They say, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Come down and make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. So these verses teach us not to expect for our God to be a problem solver. And it's a good thing they do. Because so often we prove ourselves incapable of even correctly identifying the problem, much less proposing to God the best solution. At least these people had learned it, albeit they had learned it the hard way. That as terrible as their circumstances were, the even bigger problem was that the name of their God was being discredited. How often don't we get that exactly upside down? That the only thing that will cause us to cry out to our God in prayer is when someone is sick, or when someone's pay gets cut, or when prices go up, or when we're feeling lonely, or we're feeling frustrated, or we're feeling worried. Certainly those are problems. Certainly those are problems that your God is concerned about. But a far more important issue, both for you and for the people around you, is the status of his name. The name of the only true God. The only name that saves. How's that doing in your life? How is the value of that name reflected to others in the way that you manage your budget, the way you manage your calendar, the way you manage your priorities? How is that reflected in the things that you listen to and you watch in the words that come out of your mouth? And so what a wonderful blessing that our God is not like some customer service hotline that is, he's just waiting on standby for us to call him up and let him know what's wrong. He doesn't just send us help. He doesn't just send us aid. He doesn't just send us advice. He shows up himself. He comes to us in person. And when he does show up, he often brings with him solutions to our problems 
that defy our wildest imagination. So why? Why would God be so kind to people as to show up for them? Well, the people of Israel knew the answer to that question. They knew that their name brand, trademarked God, showed up to act on behalf of those who wait for him. They knew that he comes to help, to the help of those who gladly do right and who remember his ways. Those are the types of people that God loves to help. The people of Israel knew it. The people of Israel also knew that they did not fit that description. They knew full well that they had disobeyed God. They knew that when they disobeyed God, God had become angry with them. They knew that when God had become angry with them, they decided to dig in their heels even more and disobey God even more. And so things for the nation of Israel had gotten so bad that they described the situation this way. They said, No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. So it would sort of be like a player who doesn't want to listen to her coach, or an employee who doesn't want to listen to his boss, or a parent who doesn't want to listen to his child. And so the coach or the boss or the parent choose out the player, the employee, the child, maybe even in front of the rest of the team, in front of the rest of the staff, in front of the rest of the family, and it hurts. And so the player, the employee, the child becomes angry and decides to disobey even more, decides to dig in their heels even more, which causes the boss, the employee, the parent to get even more angry. Round and round it goes until we have reached an absolute standstill. It's a staring contest, a game of chicken. Who's going to give way first? So just asking, do you, do you think God will? Do you think you're going to be more stubborn than him? Maybe you've found yourself at a time or two in your life where you were sort of like where the children of Israel were, where you mistook God's goodness to you as permission to live how you wanted to live. And maybe in his grace, with the help of a friend or a family member or a spiritual leader, God has tried to show you that what you were doing was wrong. And it stung. And so you got angry. And so you decided to dig in your heels. You decided to run away from God even farther and even faster, hoping that at some point you would get to the place where you could be fully convinced that what you were doing was okay, that God had seen things your way, that he was on your side. So I have to tell you, if that's what you are waiting for, it isn't going to happen. God is not the kind of God who just tolerates behavior that he knows is damaging for his children. In fact, when we run away from God even farther and even faster, that's not freedom. That's not give God giving us permission to act how we want. Very often, it's in fact God's judgment against sin that he just gives us over to even more sin. He's not going to budge. He's not going to back down. He's not going to lower his standards. But sometimes he lets us run in the opposite direction so that we eventually run into that brick wall, dead end, 
that is inevitably waiting for us on that path. So what then? How could a people who know that that is true of them still so boldly cry out to God and ask him to show up for them? Well, it's because the people of Israel knew that out of those three different pictures that I used to illustrate what God is like, only one of them really fits. God is not like a coach who would either bench or even cut a player who is not playing well. God is not like a boss who is going to demote or fire an employee who is not performing. But God is like a father. A father who, on the one hand, will not tolerate behavior from his children that he knows is wrong, but a father who, on the other hand, knows that his relationship with them is permanent. It's fixed. It's unconditional and therefore indestructible. God's people knew that he was like a potter who, on the one hand, would absolutely refuse to put his name on anything that is below his standards, but on the other hand, is going to keep working with that lump of clay until it does, in fact, meet those standards. And so on that basis, God's people ask him to do something that is probably the most surprising thing a people could ever ask God to do. They ask their name-brand trademarked God who by definition knows absolutely everything there is to know to forget to remember their sins no more so maybe you have been at that point in your life where you have run away from God as far as you possibly can and you've hit that brick wall dead end and you've come crawling back you will always find that God hasn't gone anywhere. Again, he hasn't budged, he hasn't lowered his standards, but he will always be waiting for you to welcome you back with open arms. And so when we go back to God and we say to him, hey God, about that sin, yes, God says, I forgive you of that sin, but that forgiveness that God gives us is so thorough and so complete that it's almost as if God also says, what sin? He's not just sweeping it off to the side until which time it is beneficial for him to once again hold it over your head. No, that sin is gone. It is forgotten. It is no more. And so these verses show us that we shouldn't expect a God who is a problem solver. We shouldn't expect a God who tolerates. We shouldn't expect a God who remembers. Again, these verses disrupt so many of our expectations for what God might be like that we might be left wondering, well, what's left? What will we find when we open this box that has been sent by our name brand trademarked God? Well, here, let me ask it in the simplest way I possibly can. What is the gift that God sent to you at Christmas? Thank you. But as simple as that is, I hope these verses also help us all appreciate just how disruptive it is. That this isn't just some cute, nice, cuddly gift that we get to unwrap at Christmas. No, Jesus is proof that God is not just a problem solver. Jesus is proof that he's a God who shows up 
and shows up with solutions that we often can't even imagine. Jesus is proof that God is not a God who tolerates sin. Yes, he was born in a wooden manger, but already at his birth he was destined for a wooden cross where every single sin had to face its reckoning. And Jesus is proof that we shouldn't expect to find a God who remembers. We have a God who forgets our sins. All of our sins went with Jesus into his tomb, only unlike Jesus, they didn't come back out. They are buried forever. And the really good news is that this isn't a gift that God gives to us just once, or even just twice. Yes, it's a gift he gave at Christmas. Yes, Jesus will return to us on the last day. But this is a gift that God gives us every single time we gather together in Jesus' name. It's a gift he gives us today. It's a gift he will give us for the next 52 weeks. That's his promise. So no matter what you're going through, no matter what your circumstances might be, no matter if you have run away from God as far and as fast as you can or whether you're still struggling to come crawling fully back, no matter what you might be going through, Jesus is the gift that God always wants to give. Amen. Amen.